This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hi and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Louise and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guests to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Hi, my name's John. I'm an alcoholic. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. It does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and to help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Thanks, John. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places, prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. And this is what makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober.
Okay, for anyone who has just joined us, you are listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9. And we're just about to interview an AA member who is going to share their experience with alcoholism. So let's meet our guest. John, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us how long you've been sober? Yeah, my name's John. Uh, I'm an alcoholic and I've been sober for a bit over four years. Wow, that's amazing. Well done. And can I ask how old you are? I'm 26. Brilliant. Wow. And um, tell us a little bit about your life outside of AA. Do you work? I work. I um, recently started a new job in the last year and um, yep, work Monday to Friday and spend my weekends tramping or skiing or um, doing things around Christchurch. That's awesome. So let's talk a little bit about your drinking. When did it start? Well, I remember having a, you know, a wine at dinner with, you know, a sip of dad's wine or or a beer at a at a wedding when I was very young, but it really started properly when I was a teenager, probably year eleven at school, which um, was about fifth form for the uh, the older listeners, <laughs> and um, it really helped me feel like I, I fitted in. You know, when we start. To drink, we you know we'd we'd drink a mate's dad's Bacardi and fill it up with water and so on. <laughs> um, I felt more included, and then uh, in year twelve and so second to last year of school, um, we'd start partying more and having organised parties and fake ID and mm. always drinking to get drunk. Uh, mm. That was always the aim mm. uh, because I felt like a more interesting, extroverted, funny person. Um, at first, drink really seemed to help me. You know, I. Became close with my friends. I really did seem to be funnier when I was on the piss <laughs> and uh, helped me with, with girls as well. Um, I became a more um, a person interested in other people, actually, mm. when I was drinking. I wanted to be around other people. Uh, but as I continued to drink and do other substances as well, mm. uh, that, sort of, that sort of effect sort of diminished and it became more and more about myself. Right. And getting, trying to relive those sort of highs of, you know, that that right level when you've had just the right amount. <laughs> yeah. Um, which doesn't seem to last very long and never seems to be quite attainable. And is that as you move sort of from your teens into your sort of early adulthood mm. that you found that, that there was a change? Yeah. Well, it meant that I was, when I when I could go to parties at school, I could take two beers from home and then I'd go down to the, to the village <laughs> and... My mate with a fake idea would get a couple of scrumpies or a bottle of vodka. <laughs> and as soon as I came down to Christchurch and moved away from home and turned 18 and could actually legally do what I wanted to do, you know, um, it was, it it was, was exactly long. what I wanted. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and that was great, again, to, to start with. It was fantastic. Um, but as the years went by and the drinking just continued, while other people seemed to relax a little bit after the first couple of years of uni... Um, I still just wanted to keep going and drink wasn't enough and I started to supplement it with other things and and I spent all my money on drinking and all my hobbies and sports activities and things that I used to do um, that were really good for me and sometimes good for other people just diminished and mm. my life just became about getting by at my mm. study or my day mm. job and uh, just living to have a cold one when I got home Mm-hmm. Several cold ones, and uh, looking forward to the weekend to 
just do what I always did. And in your relationship, so you talked about hobbies, you talked about those things started to to go or um, become less important and, you know, your relationships with your family, with your parents, with your, you know, obviously with your friends, yes, because you wanted to drink the way that you could. Mm. That's something that... It really diminished. Um, when I moved to Christchurch, I felt like I could do whatever I wanted and it wouldn't mm. affect anyone except myself and mm. I could deal with the consequences was mm. what I thought. Um, as such, I would just not tell my family about mm. things I was doing. And often my friends were doing the same things that I was doing. Mm, mm. And then uh, eventually I was not really telling my family about anything I was doing except, you know, a brief headline once, once every week or so. And my, fa- and my friends were starting to do other things and, and not drinking like I was drinking and not drugging like I was drugging. And, and uh, I was always the guy trying to get them to, you know, get on the chop on Wednesday evening or, you know, come do something else and... They didn't want to, right, you know, rightfully so. And, yeah, so I started to feel lonely. I started to feel mm. really lonely and I started to hate the person that I was because I'd always wake up, I'd always black out when drinking and I'd always wake up not quite knowing what I'd done but feeling awful and where in the past I would find out what I'd done and mm. make apologies. I started to just leave the mess on the floor and hope that time cleared it up. Yeah, it's, uh, and, and the, the shame... You know mm. the the emotional, like you describe, you didn't like the person that you were becoming or had become. So, did you at any point try to stop or think I need to stop or I need some help? Mm. I thought I thought what I was doing was normal. Right. I was a young man at university, and uh, or after university, just a young man with a bit of income, I thought it was normal to, to behave the way I was behaving, to have an a attitude towards alcohol that I had. And I also thought it was normal to be, you know, shaving in, in the mirror and wish that someone was going to punch me in the face. Um, mm. I thought that sort of, that's, that's what I, I distinctly remember feeling that mm. way a couple of times. I never wanted to self-harm or do anything like that, but I felt like I would feel better if someone punched me in the face mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, made me feel the way I felt, you know. Mm-hmm. So I felt it was normal, and so I didn't think to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. I remember one time after a, uh, a Christmas work do, and I got really, really drunk and <laughs> made a fool of myself. And again, blacked out, so I didn't really remember much and somehow avoided getting in much trouble, thinking that, right, December, I'm, I'm not going to drink. Um, I'm just going to take a month off. And I made it all the way to Christmas, which for a lot of alcoholics is is mm-hmm. a pretty substantial period of time. It's about three weeks or so. And, uh, yeah, and, and then on Christmas Day we were doing a toast in memory of my grandmother who wasn't a drinker and was a lovely, lovely person. And for some reason I thought that, oh, I can't do a toast without without champagne. You know, it's, you can't do a toast with the water was what I'd always heard, which uh, is absolutely ridiculous. Um so I had a glass of champagne and then spent the rest of Christmas popping down to the garage to get beers. And um, I spent New Year, you know, off my face. And that was a bit of a, like, oh, I couldn't even do what I said I was going to do. Mm-hmm. And throughout my life, I kept, at that time, 
kept making promises to myself mm. that I couldn't keep, not mm. just about alcohol, but about everything. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that was about the only time I tried. <laughs> and um, did anyone ever say anything to you? Did you have any sort of friends or family? You sound like you have quite a close-knit family say anything. Or had you managed to hide it so well? <laughs> <laughs> well, being in another city helps for the, the family. But, yeah, my, actually in my second year of uni, um, some mates pulled me aside and said uh, it was sort of like an intervention. But in the early days, I, wasn't, I wouldn't say I was quite drinking as severely as I did towards the end of the days. And I said, said look, when you're on the piss, you behave like a bit of a knob and... Wow! Oh, I don't know. I'm trying to I'm trying to temper my language here. <laughs> it was a bit stronger than that, and um, that woke me up. So I changed the way I was drinking. Wow! In terms of okay, I won't do spirits. I'll just do beers. Yeah, and yep. that helped for maybe a night. <laughs> when and they then, when they actually, how did it make you feel when they said that to you? Oh, well, you know, like I I knew like I knew that I was I didn't like yeah. the way I behaved sometimes. I liked the way sometimes, and other times I didn't. And uh, so I knew they had a point, so I, I listened to it. Wow. Uh, but it certainly wasn't, it didn't stop me drinking. No. Um, and then a bit later, yeah, my, my parents were never very happy, but they, they kept that to themselves. Mm. You know, they were kind enough to let me lead my life the way I wanted mm. to live it, even if they didn't agree with it. Um, and really, actually, I had a big wake-up call. Um, so a few a few months before I came into AA, I broke my back while I was drinking. Mm-hmm. I uh, won't go into the full story, but yeah, it was while I was drunk. But I didn't think I was that drunk because I hadn't blacked out. So you know, I, kinda, <laughs> I wasn't really drunk. Though I'd probably had twelve beers or you know something. And I was spent a couple of weeks in a spinal unit hospital. And they were absolutely amazing there, and they give you this holistic treatment. You you have to see a psychiatrist as well as an occupational therapist, physio. You know, our public health care system is just amazing. There's some amazing people there. Mm. Mm. And when I was meeting with the psychiatrist, they kept bringing up the drink. Mm. And I was like, no, I wasn't, I wasn't drunk. I hadn't blacked out. And they just like <laughs> kept coming back to it, and they kept saying, you know, and they said things that I hadn't really thought about, like, you know, that when you're drunk, it's not just your mind that, that's altered, but also your physical. You're not as athletic when you're drunk as well, and so like, you know, maybe that contributed to your your, your broken back. And and it wasn't until a few weeks later that I, or actually maybe it wasn't even until I was pretty into sobriety that I realised that they weren't just talking about my back. They weren't just talking about you know how I broke my back. They kept bringing up alcohol because they kept they realised that that I wasn't a normal drinker hmm. and I remember telling my another story I remember telling the, the local nurse you know on the regular catch up you know they ask they always ask uni students um, how many drinks do you have a week on average and I remember alright this time I'll be honest and I told them you know maybe 100 standards a, a week or something like that and they said that's not normal I was like yeah, come on <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean like but didn't think anything of it. So yeah, people. The signs were there. The signs mm. were there. But until until you're ready for it, mm. um, you mm. just you just don't think it's a problem. And that's why it's so good that there's the the seed of AA or of you know a way out. Being mm. out there is so important. So was that for you? Was was that your rock bottom? 
is that what brought you into recovery? No. And that's what a lot of people thought when I came into AA. I was very conscious as a young person coming to AA. And I was worried that people would think that I just came in because I broke my back and I was feeling bad for myself. Um, and it wasn't, though, because when I was in hospital, I couldn't wait to... It's crazy saying this now, but I couldn't wait to get out, mm. to get off the drugs because I didn't want to get addicted to painkillers, and to get back drinking. Mm. I couldn't wait. That's all I wanted to do, mm. despite having to call up my parents at 3 a.m. and say, you know, I'm in hospital, I'm paralyzed, I you know, broke my back. Yeah. Never think I would be that person. You know, I was always on the, on the books. I was a good person. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it wasn't enough. It was, I mean... How many second chances do you need? But it really wasn't enough until... There wasn't really one specific incident, but I remember we had a, a friend staying at our flat, a friend of my flatmates, and we went out. She'd stayed with us a week, and I hadn't got drunk. And uh, we went out and got really drunk and um, made a fool of myself. And anyway, she said to me the next day, like, I can't, I can't believe, you know what you were like, you know, it was, you were a different person. And I think it was just the right timing mm. and having someone from an outside perspective who had no, no motives for anything, you know, just saying like, you, you were, you're crazy. <laughs> so what did you do? Did you call well, someone or did you, how did you reach out and how did you hear about AA or how mm. did you get into AA? You see AA in the movies and things. Yeah. Uh, you know, all sitting around and telling stories. And, and yeah. after one meeting, everyone's cured. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I knew AA was a thing. I didn't know it existed in New Zealand. But the local doctor um, that I went to, I remember going maybe half a year before I got sober and seeing a sign for Al-Anon, mm-hmm. which is... Um, like AA, but it's for friends and families of alcoholics. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that at the time, though. I thought it was just the New Zealand variety. And that caught my attention for some reason, probably mm. because of, mm. you know. Um, and I didn't think much of it. I think I mentioned it at dinner. And then, um, and then shortly before this time, maybe a week or so before I came, and I saw that sign again when I was at the doctor's regarding the back. And, and I'd noticed it more that, that time. And so I knew something was out there, and so I went along to that, that Al-Anon meeting mm. when I decided to stop drinking, because I knew I couldn't stop drinking. I tried it that, that December that one time, and I also tried a few other times. So I thought if I was going to actually give us a proper shot, I'd give it a proper shot and go to the, the professional drinkers and the professional sober people, uh, the people who have the real experience. So I went to Al-Anon, some very kind um, older women, told me about AA, and I went to my first meeting that night. Wow. And, um, yeah, and, and fortunately been sober since. What, tell us about that first meeting. What was that like? What were the people like? Mm. I made sure to show up late because I didn't want yep. to make small talk <laughs> and uh, didn't want to feel overly welcomed or, you know, whatever. I was all in my head. I was a bit crazy at the time. wasn't thinking very straight. So I showed up late. And there was all these people meeting in the back room of a church because the church, churches are very... AA's got no affiliation with any church, but churches are kind enough to 
lend us rooms mm. for, for cheap rent, which is, is awesome. Um, and I was a bit nervous because I'd grown up having to go to church and mm. didn't really believe and didn't want to go to a God thing. And But it was this room full of, small room, full of maybe a dozen people, all like different ages, uh, men and women, um, different states of attire and so on. And they all just seemed really awake, really mm-hmm. happy, um, interested in other people. And I sat in that room and, and it was a big book study meeting. So we we read a bit of AA literature and then mm-hmm. would be asked questions and share. And so I heard someone share that I really related to. Their experience was really similar to mine. They'd come in when they were young. They were sober about 15 years at this point, I think. Um, they'd come in when they were my age and had similar stories to me. And so I really related and knew that I was in the right spot. Mm. And I think I think maybe I shared briefly and just said, like, explain my situation. And after the meeting, I had a chat with this guy. He gave me his number, said to call him. I gave him a call the next day. Wow. We caught up for a coffee. We got to know each other a little bit. And I asked him to be my sponsor. And he had me start working the AA 12 steps. And um, I guess I've got shivers because to me that's a bit of a God job coming in so young and then relating to someone so young is is quite amazing. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and you touched on it briefly around, you know, AA not being a religious program but a spiritual program. Mm. W- what's that been like for you? Yeah. So I came in with like... A lot of history or like you know prejudice I guess is probably the right word for it mm. I grew up in a family where we we had to go to church every Sunday mm. as a kid and um, I didn't really enjoy that very much and mm. I went to a Catholic high school which I did really enjoy it was a great high school um, so I was you know very familiar with Christian Christianity but I wasn't I didn't believe in God and I didn't want to go to a happy, clappy mm. thing. Um, <laughs> you know, these were the prejudices I had. Mm. Um, and when you arrive at your first AA meeting, usually on the walls there's these two banners, mm. one one of which is the 12 steps, which is the program that we work through, um, which which I credit to, along with my high power, um, giving me the sobriety. You know, it really makes you work for it. And... You know, the second step there is came to believe in a power greater than, that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And then a few steps later, that you know, the word God is used sometimes for, for higher power. And I thought, oh, right, well, what did I figure? But I was desperate. I just wanted to get mm-hmm. sober. I didn't mm-hmm. care what it took. Um, I knew that I couldn't lie to myself, um, So I, but I thought I'd give it a shot anyway. Not, not lying to myself, but giving AA a shot. And... Um, yeah, basically what it means is I couldn't stop drinking. I promised myself to stop drinking and I couldn't keep that promise. I promised myself to do all sorts of things and I could never keep those promises for longer than about a week. Mm. So I knew two things. One, that I was an alcoholic. Mm. And, then I, and two, that I couldn't cure myself of that. And I didn't believe that anything else could. I, I know that there's no medication that could do that. So if I wanted to continue to live, and if I wanted to be happy, 
which means stopping drinking because it was ruining my life. Based on those two things, I needed something outside of myself. And it didn't matter what that thing was. That's, this is what, why AA is spiritual, not religious, because AA does not care what your higher power mm. is. Mm. We just believe that, or I believe at least, um, that it's just got to be outside of yourself. Yep. Some people have a tree as a high power. Some people have mm. Mm. Um, a Christian God or Muslim God or anything. And for me, it's really, really simple. Um, it's, I don't even understand it, but I just know that mm-hmm. whatever it is, it's worked for me. And um, John, how would you describe your life today? It's great. It's not perfect. But when I look back at the where mm. I was four years ago when I came to the rooms, oh my God, just mm. like the biggest problems that I had then, which, you know, wasn't just the drink, I had other problems mm. too. Mm. It's amazing now that the biggest problems I had then have all gone, yep. all of them, yep. all of the big problems. And the problems I've got today in comparison are tiny. But just like anybody, I can turn tiny problems into big problems if I like. <laughs> um, yeah. I resented my father when I came in. I had bad relationships with my siblings. I was a bad employee. I wasted all my money and I was selfish towards mm-hmm. my friends. Almost all of those things have absolutely vanished. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a loving relationship with my parents. I have great friendships that I can still be selfish sometimes. <laughs> I like to think I'm a good employee. And yeah. um, I also like to think that I'm of use outside mm. of that too. My hobbies and sports have returned. And uh, I feel like a proper civilian or a proper citizen, you know. I, mm. I've, Contributor I'm invested. to some society. Yeah. yeah. I feel invested in Christchurch's future and I feel invested in, in the people of mm. Christchurch's future. Um, I don't expect to make any big changes there, but I feel part of the community. And so life is, especially today on a bluebird day after Mm. a long winter, it's Mm. it's really good. Wonderful. Well, John, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. Sweet. Thank you. For our listeners, if you've related to anything you've heard or would like some more information about AA, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and again on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with the serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.